Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Play Sheet Podcast. Joe, we're getting closer and closer to the end of the season. To Christmas, yeah. Well, and to Christmas, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Christmas has been cancelled here in the UK. There's no Christmas in Tier 4, so all we've got to do is watch football. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, <laughs> swings and roundabouts. So we're here, as always, to talk about all the action from the Game Week 15 games. And we will dive in, as always, to our predictions, which I'm, I'm getting a little bit nervous about, Joe. You're, you're creeping up on me here. Yeah, I'm hearing those squeaks, Charles. I'm hearing those squeaks. Yes, another strong uh, <laughs> week for you here again. So I'm going to have to get my head in the game when we get to the end of this. It's a marathon, not a sprint, mate. <laughs> right. Well, let's not waste any time then and jump straight into Chargers 30, Raiders 27. Bit surprised at this one, really. This was the Raiders' last chance to stay in playoffs here. They had to win out, basically, to stay in with a chance. And the way that it went as well, it was another game where the Chargers held their nerve in the final minutes to get the win. They couldn't do that towards the start of the season, and they've done that twice in the last two weeks. It snapped a nine-game losing streak against divisional rivals. But with that said, all four games they've played in the division this year have come to the final play, which is quite incredible, really. Well done to Herbert. Keeps him in the mix for Rookie of the Year. But yeah, I think it's just disappointment for the Raiders, really. They showed a lot of promise. It's almost a what-could-have-been season, but their defence once again just let them down. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we got the overtime game straight away this week, didn't we? First game of the showing. But look, Derek Carr spent the beginning of the season looking like Mahomes, and he's ending it looking second-best to Mariota. Now, obviously, Mariota's no bust, as as this game proved, but it has taken Carr firing on all cylinders to win games for the Raiders this year. And the Raiders risk now becoming the team that I predicted that they might be at the start of the season with a record of 7-9 if they lose their next two games, which they've got against the Dolphins and the Broncos, which are losable. I think they'll go 1-1. One and one. And we'll finish 8-8. I think that's probably the expectation, yeah. And I do agree with your point, really, that it wasn't so much a kind of slight on the QBs in this game as it was on, on the defence. Card didn't have a brilliant game to start, but it was really the Raiders' defence that failed to stop almost every type of ball all night from the Chargers. Yeah, but I mean, Card didn't really get that long out there. Like, I mean, it was the first half that he came off, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the first half he came off, yeah. But this isn't the first game that Carr hasn't looked great. Yeah, no, no, no. But I think the thing with Carr is it's kind of similar to the Seahawks. Because the defence for the Raiders is so bad and they're going to ship so many points, you have to be playing with like a rating of 120, just hitting every pass, scoring like touchdowns, three or four a game to win with this Raiders team because the defence is just going to ship so many points. And it puts more pressure on you as a quarterback there. And we've seen it with Wilson. When Wilson plays well, the Seahawks win, but he has to play out his skin. If he plays, you know, anything less than that, then the Seahawks lose. And it's the same with this Raiders team because the defense is just so bad. But I don't think that, you know, Mariota came on and made Carlo like a second best quarterback. I wouldn't say that personally. Okay. I think the result perhaps could have been different had Carl stayed on the field for the full game as well. Oh, I don't know. I, I mean, Mariota played well. He played well in this game. Carr didn't have many snaps, but he didn't. He played okay, but he was doing a lot of that with his legs. He had nine rushes for 88 yards, averaging nearly 10 yards a rush, and he scored a rushing touchdown. So yeah, he ran well with his legs, but I think that Carr probably would have done more with the ball in the air. Herbert had another brilliant game, despite the fact that his two top wide receivers were pretty much out. They were combining for only five catches due to pitch counts they had on them. Eckler was also on a pitch count and they didn't have offensive lineman Brian Beluga, who was also sidelined. The, the, the Chargers had no right winning this game, but they did. Yeah, and that just shows how bad the Raiders D is, really. Yeah. I'm not trying to take stuff away from Herbert here because, yeah, Herbert played well. He definitely played well. I'm not taking that away from him. But the Raiders D is just that bad that they can make a beat-up Chargers team led by a rookie quarterback look really good. Final point on this one. Hunter Henry... This has kind of crept up here, really. But did you know that he's the tight end with the third most receptions this year? No, I didn't realise that at all. You could have asked me, and I probably would not have called his name. He's gone over 60 now, and he's third amongst tight ends, obviously behind Darren Waller and Travis Kelsey. There we go. Anyway, let's shift. Let's move on. 
Bills 48, Broncos 19. Yeah, I mean, the Bills have won the AFC East for the first time in 25 years now. Think about all those poor folding tables in uh, Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not going to be a single folding table for Christmas no, in the whole of upstate New York. <laughs> this game went nothing like I expected. The Broncos have been tough defensively over the last handful of games, including against offensively impressive teams like the Chiefs. This didn't phase the Bills at all, though. They were super impressive. I mean, it probably is worth mentioning that the Broncos were once again down their top two cornerbacks, which is always something that's going to make predicting games a little tough on a Tuesday. But the Bills look unstoppable at the moment. Where do you think the weaknesses are in this Bills team? Well, we might well see, based on the injuries that they've picked up this week with Diggs and Tredavious White, and 100%, I think 100%. they're both key people to this team. So if either one of them's out for a prolonged period of time, that is going to be an issue. They're thin on wide receivers. That's how I see it. You've got Diggs and you've got Beasley there, who are both playing probably you know the best they've played in their careers, both having career years here. But behind those guys, you look through the list of the other receivers there, and it's pretty thin. Like, I mean, you know, the third receiver, maybe Jake Kummerow, a reject from Green Bay. And it's not like Green Bay have got many receivers there to reject. <laughs> Very true. Gabriel Davis, a rookie who's shown a little bit, but I mean, he's still a rookie and he's not had that much exposure there. And it's pretty thin on the ground. Like, it's, it's interesting that both touchdowns in this game came from Dawson Knox and Jake Kummerow. Yeah. Who, you know, not Diggs and not Cole Beasley. But I think that if you lose either one of those wide receivers or you have two decent cornerbacks who can kind of get those guys out of the game, it really reduces the options that Josh Allen has. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, I mean, I just want to bring it up again, but Locke did not look good in this matchup. And I don't know if Denver can rely on bringing him back next year and expecting the results to go any differently from the way they have this season. It's interesting, really, because John Elway selected Bradley Chubb in front of Josh Allen in the draft a couple of years ago. So it must have been pretty satisfying for Josh Allen to come here and show what he was all about. Yeah, You're right, really. But it's the way they're playing Locke as well. Every pass Locke has to make seems to be like, you know, a 30, 40 yard bomb. They keep on trying to get him to do these huge throws. And there seems to be this kind of approach to the game, which I'm not sure is right for him. But I mean, look, the, the Broncos are five and nine. Even if they lose the last two, five and eleven, they're probably not going to be picking one of the two or three quarterbacks that is kind of coveted in this year's draft. So what are they going to do? I think Locke probably will come back, but I wouldn't be surprised again if next year, like we've said before, they bring in some kind of veteran pressure to make him compete for a spot. Yeah, and maybe it's something we touch on a little bit later on, but. You know, we've already talked about the possibility of Newton not remaining at the Pats and maybe even Darnold not remaining at the Jets. So there could be opportunities there to snag. Well, we'll come to that later, but I'm almost certain now that Darnold will stay at the Jets, but almost certain now that Newton will leave New England. But let's get on to that later. Let's move on to our next game, shall we? Yeah, Panthers 16, Packers 24. And look, it's another win from the Packers, who seemingly scored at will to begin with. They converted every third down imaginable, including a 21-yard Aaron Jones run on the first possession and an Aaron Rodgers scrambling touchdown in the second quarter. The Panthers made a fair few mistakes, as has often been the case of the teams that the Packers have played. It's hard to argue whether these mistakes were forced or not. I think the real concern, though, is that Green Bay were up 21-3 at the half and this game still came down to the final drive. And too often, the Packers have allowed teams like the Panthers, Lions, Jags to remain in games when it shouldn't even be in contention. And we've criticised the Steelers for the exact same thing. And look how they're now losing games. You know, the Packers need to sort this out before the playoffs come. Yeah, it's weird how the Packers really are kind of like letting these to not be, you know, disrespectful here but letting these kind of weaker teams just stay in games like I mean they blew them away the um first half you had Steve Smith in the commentary just saying like you know it's it's not if Green Bay win this it's by how many points and then the script just totally flipped the second half it's weird Rogers just wasn't getting much going it's interesting that Jones rushed for more yards than Rogers threw for this is not something you see very often at all yeah very true I think you've got to put this down as a mental thing really because it's almost as if they just switched off I don't really know what to put on it. Like you say, though, it's a win. 
They're in the driving seat for the first seed now. What I think they're a game ahead of the Saints, and they've got the head-to-head against the Saints. So I think Green Bay, what, they basically need to win one more game, and then they're almost guaranteed that first seed. Is that right? It depends on the game. But yes, if they beat the Bears, I think they've guaranteed won it. Or it's a combination of next week win, providing that other teams lose. Yeah, I guess the only thing that could stop them from securing it next week is if it's not a three-way playoff at the top. Yeah. There are still problems with this Green Bay team. There's no rush defense. They've only shown it in one or two games. But they're going to be first seed. That week off will make such a difference when they've got like you know two weeks to get players fit and healthy. It's a huge thing. So right now, I can't really see past them or the Saints playing in the Super Bowl. I think it's just got to be one of those two teams. And if anyone's got any different opinions, email in. But I think it's from one of those two teams. Yeah, I think you've always got to be mindful of the Seahawks lurking. But I would put them at a distant third. I agree. Good teams beat the Seahawks. And if you've got a quarterback who can throw the ball, then they've got a chance against the uh, Seahawks, really. They're too reliant on uh, Russell Wilson. Just, just way too reliant. Yeah. Defenses win championships. They don't have a defense. Okay, next game. Texans 20, Colts 27. Yeah, I mean, two weeks ago, the Texans lost to the Colts due to that dodgy snap near the goal line on the final drive. This time, Kiki Kuti caught a short pass, clear route to the end zone, and then Darius Leonard with the RKO out of nowhere just... <laughs> lodging that ball out of Cootie's hands and then the Colts managing to land on it in the end zone. It's two tough losses for the Texans here, but how they're even hanging with this Colts team who have a good defense and a good run game and passing game, it doesn't make sense to me. I can't, I can't wrap my head around it. Well, look, 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 it's Deshaun Watson. He's playing out of his skin for this team. I think if you take Deshaun Watson out of this Texans team, and put in a bottom 10 quarterback like the other kind of worst teams do. And I could easily see this Texans team having not won a game. Every single game, you're, you're seeing him put up 300 yards plus, putting up multiple touchdowns, putting this team on his back. Watson's in a losing team. He's in a very, very poor team, but he's absolutely putting them on his shoulders. Look at this game. 373 yards he passed for. Two touchdowns. Quarterback rating of 120.8. Like, he's absolutely leading this team. And it's unfortunate that he's in such a bad team because were this team, like, you know, at seven or eight wins, he'd be in the conversation for uh, MVP. I really think that he would be. Yeah, I mean, recently he's been, like you said, performing out of his skin. The one thing that I did find quite funny was that we had David Johnson who caught all 11 of his targets for 106 yards. But what I would still say, though, Charles... The rushing attacks were the differences between these teams here. Both quarterbacks threw for two touchdowns, but you had the Colts rushing for 127 yards. And that wasn't, you know, off their quarterbacks. That was running backs rushing for 127 yards, whereas Houston mustered up 83 yards, 25 of which came from Watson. The Texans are the worst rushing team in the league. Through 14 games, they've rushed for 1,204 yards. That's 86 yards a game. That's pathetic. It's not just their rush defense that is bad, their rush offense is terrible. It's an absolute cliche. It's one of the oldest cliches in the book. If you don't establish the run, you're just going to struggle in everything in your attack. They've not established a run all season. And so, you know, it's all well and good catching 11 passes out of the backfield. Yeah, great. But it's just more pressure that you're putting on Watson because there's no rush. So he's just got to pass everything. If Bill O'Brien listens to this podcast, he's probably sat at home crying now. There he was after the weekend thinking, I'm a genius trade mastermind and you've just you've just crushed him there, Joe. It's kind of like buying a Ferrari that doesn't have an engine. It's all well and good and bells and whistles catching, you know, 11 of 11 targets, 106 yards. But you're having to make those catches because your rushing attack is so bad. And you're not going to win games if you can only muster up an average of 86 yards a game rushing. Yeah. And, you know, let's, let's be honest, of his 86, you know, you're probably averaging 20, 30 a game that are coming from Watson as well. So from your actual running backs, they're probably mustering, you know, what, about 50 yards a game? Pathetic. Yeah. You're just not going to win games. Right. Should we move on to Lions 25, Titans 46? Yeah. So so this was one where I called the points exactly on, but probably not for the right reasons. (laughs) 
I thought that Chase Daniel was starting, so I said that the Titans would win by 21 points. Well, the Titans did win by 21 points, but even with Stafford starting, which kind of just shows how they played. Look, I've criticised Tannehill several times. I stand by that, but look, you've got to give credit where credit's due. You've, you, you've always got to do that. Three touchdown passes, two rushing touchdowns. So, you know, five combined touchdowns. Career day for him. Absolute career day. And the Titans were relentless, really. Just every possession it looked like they were going to score. Yeah, I don't really have much to add on this game. I thought both quarterbacks played well and seemed relatively accurate. Henry ran wild. Lions fell away in the second half. So I don't think there were many upsets here, apart from maybe the surprise in how well Tannehill did play in this isolated game. Yeah. One thing that's probably a morale booster for this Titans team is that they managed to get three sacks on Stafford. Now, this Titans team is probably one of the worst pass rushes in the league, and that is going to be a big issue for them in playoffs against quarterbacks, so if you give them time, they're going to destroy you. So the fact they could get three sacks on Stafford is morale boosting, but let's not forget that Stafford had Ragnu, his centre, out, and Terrell Crosby, his right tackle, out. So it was a beat-up Lions offensive line. And, you know, this is an offensive line that probably hasn't been that good at the best times anyway. But look, it's this time of year now where we're talking about playoffs, talking about teams' weaknesses, Titans, pass rush. That's going to be a huge problem for them. And there's not really too much you can do to muster up sacks at this time of the season now. Right, on to Buccaneers 31, Falcons 27. And Joe, I had my heart in my mouth for most of this game as the Bucks' defence went completely missing and looked to ruin my accumulator. As it turned out, I had to wait for the last matchup on the ticket to let me down, but we'll get to the Rams-Jets in due course. There were plenty of games this week to uh, ruin accumulators, but uh, this one I didn't uh, maybe expect that it would be a problem. But look, you should have never have worried. Brady, 17, 20 points down against Falcons, it doesn't matter. That's where Brady's comfortable. This Falcons team, the leads that they've given up, it's just another Falcons collapse. I think the, probably the biggest thing to take away, though, is for the Buccaneers to get in this hole to start with. And they probably shouldn't have got in that hole to start with, especially with the defence we're used to with this team. Yeah, I think that's exactly kind of the moral of this match, as it were. The Falcons outgained the Buccaneers 261 yards to 60 in the first half. Like, what is the Buccaneers' defence doing in that situation? We've seen this a little bit too much from Brady, where he's just starting off really slowly in games. He did it against the Vikings last week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And not getting anything going until at least the second quarter. And again, if you give teams like the Chiefs, or even teams like the Ravens, that lead, it's those kind of games against those kind of offences where if you give them a sniff, if you give them a lead, they're not going to give up leads. They're not going to collapse like the Falcons collapse. So I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if Bruce Arians, because normally the first 10 plays of a game are often called by the coach. You you know what you're going to do for your first 10 plays, and then you start to adjust. And I don't know if just the first 10 plays they're calling are just the wrong plays, and we need to look at that, or or if it is a personnel thing, and the players just aren't going into the game as prepped and hot as they need to be. Either way, though, that's, again, something else they need to address and get right before uh, playoffs start. Yeah, absolutely. Again, more injuries the Falcons were down to starting defensive backs whether that ultimately made the difference or not I don't know because we've seen the Falcons defensive woes regardless of who's on the field so good game from both quarterbacks though eventually like I mean Brady yeah. ended up with 390 yards the majority of that coming in the second half as well Ryan finished up with 356 yards so you're kind of getting on for nearly 800 yards between the two quarterbacks there and five touchdowns zero interceptions pass rate you can hardly split so yeah so it's just something we've got to sort out Right, on to the Jags at the Ravens. Jaguars 14, Ravens 40. This was a bit of a blowout, Joe. It's a bit of a weird game, because you see a scoreline like this, and you think, wow, one of the quarterbacks must have played bad. Minshew still finished 22 of 29, pretty accurate. 226 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Bit of a weird one, and you kind of got to feel sorry for Minshew at this stage now. We said it weeks ago. We said it, I think, five or six weeks ago, that the Jaguars had no interest in keeping him and they had no interest in keeping Luton either. It's just kind of keeping that seat warm while they wait to draft a quarterback. And there's almost nothing that Minshew can do now, really, that's going to keep his starting job in this team, I think. Yeah, I agree. It's strange because, as we mentioned last week, we're so used to seeing this Jags team uh, hang in with teams like the Ravens, like the Packers. It's got blasted away. Yeah, yeah, and this one was a complete 
blowout the ravens keep their wild card hopes alive but as things stand they're still going to need some help from the teams above them and actually it could all come down to that final game of the season having to have the dolphins lose to the bills if the ravens can beat both the giants and the bengals well this is it i think all the ravens chances come down to is the bills beating the dolphins but here's the thing the bills at this stage now aren't going to get the top seed. The Chiefs have basically got that top seed tied off. Chiefs are 13-1 in first place in the playoff race. Bills are second in the playoff race, but 11-3. So you basically need the Chiefs to lose out and the Bills to win out now. Not going to happen. It's feasible the Bills could rest players in the last game of the season, which would potentially make things easier for the Dolphins and maybe keep the Ravens out of it. But the Ravens are basically relying on the Bills beating the Dolphins. Well, talking about the Dolphins then, should we shift into Patriots 12, Dolphins 22? Yeah, now look, I don't have too much to say about this game really because it, it was another Dolphins game where it wasn't too exciting from an offensive point of view. I mean, Tua didn't really do much. But Patriots, like, I mean, this is almost an end to an era. We've known for a few weeks really that they probably weren't going to go to playoffs. They almost definitely weren't going to win the AFC East. But for it to just be confirmed like this, it was just a bit of a weird damn squib. Cam Newton, I don't think he's playing for the Patriots next year. I'm I, like the more I think of it now, the more I just don't see it happening. I can't see them bringing him back. Yeah, well, that was one of my questions. I mean, you've got to do mental gymnastics to justify bringing him back at the cost that it is going to cost the Patriots to do that. Do you know what his touchdown interception no, ratio is? No. Do you know how many touchdowns he's passed for? Take a guess in 13 oh, games. Oh, it feels low because most of the touchdowns I've seen him get are scrambles. I'm going to say three. It's five. Five touchdowns in 13 starts, 10 interceptions. Wow. So it's from double the amount of interceptions and touchdowns. That is not good. It's just not working, really. It's just not working there. And they've got him on the cheap. It was good business. I don't blame them whatsoever for what we've done here. If you could get Cam Newton for less than a million a year or about a million a year, you're going to just see. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We, we touched on this last week. There's rumours now that Stidham is starting this week just so they can see what we've got there. I said before, though, it seems he's more of a probably a career backup than a starter, but let's see. But I think they might be starting him on Sunday. It's not confirmed yet, so we'll have to wait. But Cam Newton, I think, will be playing somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, look... The, maybe Washington. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe the Bears, as we've touted time and time again. <laughs> maybe the Bears, yeah. <laughs> Look, the Patriots needed to win this game to still be in with a mathematical shot of the playoffs. Even that yeah. hope is uh, dissolved now. I think one thing to note about your comment around Tua not really doing much, it is worth bearing in mind that the Dolphins were missing Devontae Parker, Mike Gusecki, Preston Williams, Jakeem Grant. So basically they're four top offensive weapons. Yeah, yeah, no. That is fair. Like, you look at that list and you're like, Durham Smythe? Who? Yeah, exactly. And you've got, like, <laughs> Mac Hollins and Ford there as well. It's like a list of nobodies. So, no, that is fair. I do take that. But I think the really thing that shocked me was how every Miami run was extended by more yards than it should have because of yeah. a Dolphin players just slipped through pathetic New England tackling attempt. And the missed tackles and the yards after tackle were absolutely staggering in this game. I mean, there was one drive in the second half where the Patriots allowed a 31-yard Salvin Ahmed run on a second and 10. Now, who is Salvin Ahmed when he's at home? (laughs) How are you letting him run 31 yards on a second and 10? Yeah, it's just not how the Patriots play or, or not what we used to see them play. They're going to be a different team next year. They'll get, you know, a lot of their defence back. That has stung them. When you lose five players, other teams lost players as well, but they did have the worst kind of hit there. They've lost five players. It is what it is. But they'll be a different looking team next year, that's for sure. And I maybe see some vets going as well. I mean, you know, Edelman's 35 now. I know he's been injured for a lot of the season, but before that injury, it wasn't like he was setting the world on fire. Yeah. I can probably see him going as well. It's going to be a very different look Patriots team. I think rebuilds may be a little bit harsh, but they're definitely going to have to, you know, remould for sure. Yeah, I think that's fair. Right. I don't want to make this too painful, but Bears 33, Vikings 27. Before we start, 
I think the loss of Eric Kendricks was a fundamental part of this loss for the Vikings. Look, 100% Kendricks should have been at Pro Bowl. I'm not going to get into a huge rant about how Pro Bowl is an utter joke, because it's an utter joke. There's so many fans who are just casuals who vote in this, who don't know anything about it at all and just vote for the players they've heard of, which is why you get stupid players going to uh, Pro Bowl. Kendricks has been one of the best linebackers in the league this year. A 4-3 coverage linebacker, find me someone better than uh, Kendricks. He's been imperious. Him being away didn't help things, but look, I'll tell you why the Vikings lost this, is because they couldn't stop the run. And there was an absolute plan here from the Bears. The Bears, who I hasten to add as well, have been one of the worst rushing teams in the league this year. They've not been good at all. And they rushed the ball 42 times and only passed it 21 times. You can run on this team all day. Their front four is just... It's not the front four we've seen from Zimmer over the last few years. There's no run stop there at all. I mean, Montgomery, 32 attempts, 146 yards, two touchdowns. Vikings made Zeke look good. Zeke's had one good game this year. It was against the Vikings. Montgomery, this is probably his best game, I would think, by far, against the Vikings. You can run on this team. Yeah, so one of my notes here, and I'm still low-key furious about it, was when we were doing our pre-dos last week, I, was, I, I backed the Vikings because I said, well, the Vikings can't defend the run, but that's okay because the Bears don't have a run game. How did you give the Bears <laughs> a run game, man? They gave you exactly. The Vikings are giving teams run games. The Cowboys <laughs> had no run game. Oh, Zeke's got 100 yards. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like. And look, at the start of the season as well, the cornerbacks were bad. They were like, you know, rookie players coming in their first season no training camp, and they were getting scorched basically on every single play. Dantzler and Gladney now are a lot better. They're not, you know, league leading or anything like that, but they're looking a lot more comfortable in their roles. So the pass defense has tightened up a little bit more, but that run defense is just, it's, it's just terrible. It's just really, really bad. And again, the Vikings will get Michael Pierce back next year. Hopefully Hunter will get back, but I mean, the injury to Hunter is quite concerning. There's rumors that Hunter might never play football again. It's a neck injury, but you know, fingers crossed Hunter comes back, Pierce comes back. They'll be better next year, but I think they still probably need to draft a big, fat defensive tackle. Just stand in, in the centre there and um, stop all these holes from coming up. Yeah. It was only a six-point difference in the end, but I think that that may have been a little deceiving because, once again, Trubitsky tried his hardest to kill the Bears' chances at the end here. He was nearly picked on a throw into triple coverage, then he proceeded to toss an actual interception into the end zone while they were up 30-27. That kept the Vikings alive, but then Chicago's defense is what you have to beat when you play the Bears, and they did enough to keep the Vikings out of the end zone to finish the game. But It was almost like he was trying kind of like too hard. Yeah. He'd made the ice cream sundae, and he was just trying to put an extra cherry on top. It just wasn't need for it. Yes, had he nailed one of those touchdown passes in the end zone, it would have made him look a little bit better. But it makes you look a whole lot worse if you get intercepted and give the Vikings a chance. That's it. The risk-reward, yeah. it's just not there, is it, to be trying these things? No, no. And so where do you see Rookie of the Year going now, Charles? We had a good game from Herbert, but we had another 100-yard game from Jefferson. Yeah, so literally my final point on this game is exactly that. I say it every week, but Jefferson was brilliant again. And it's going to be such a close race between him and Herbert for Rookie of the Year. I think at the moment, as you have mentioned in previous podcasts the bias tends to be with the quarterback and I think that they will probably still lean in Herbert's direction but if it was down to me picking I think Jefferson has been the more consistent rookie of the year performer for me I think it's a really hard one there's two hard games that Herbert has left and it's quite easy for Herbert to look bad in those last two games I mean Jefferson made the Pro Bowl which is a huge achievement for a rookie especially a rookie wide receiver as well. There are a lot of good wide receivers in the NFC North. And so to, to be joining the company of, you know, Devante Adams, DK Metcalf, and you've got Justin Jefferson there, a huge achievement. One final last question uh, on this. Jefferson, at this stage now, if you're the Bills, would you rather have Jefferson or Diggs? And if you're the Vikings, would you rather have Diggs or Jefferson? Have both teams won that trade or has one team come off stronger? Great question. I remember on one of our first episodes, in fact, where we were talking about the draft and I said how much I liked Jefferson and how much I thought he'd instantly slot in and replace Diggs. I think that the Vikings have definitely won out by having Jefferson over Diggs. In terms of the Bills, 
look, the Bills got exactly what they needed from that. If they could have Jefferson over Diggs, I don't know. Diggs is working exceptionally well for them. So I think it is one of those situations where both teams win, to be honest. It's a very rare win-win, really. When you're trading kind of first-round picks, you often don't get a win-win. But I think we actually have that here. Yeah. Okay, next game. Seahawks 20, Washington 15. This was a close game and quite technical. Washington have been defensively oppressive of late and they didn't let up in this game. Let's not forget 20 points is a relatively low score for the Seahawks team. And on another day, we could have seen this go the other way. But Russell Wilson did adapt well and did play smart, releasing passes quickly or scrambling to compensate for Washington's pass rush. You'd like to think that this was something that was probably worked on in training this week because we all know what the Washington pass rush is capable of. But maybe it was just Wilson simply improvising. But whichever way around it was, it it worked. The result here, I think we expected this. So nothing that shocking. I think the implications are more for players. Dwayne Haskins, this was a redemption chance for him. I don't think he really took it. He had 55 pass attempts, so he was getting a lot of usage out there. But a player like him, where his career has gone how it has, I think he needed to do a little bit more. So missed opportunity for him. One other thing as well, Jamal Adams, his sacks, what, I think he's got nine on a season now, nine and a half on a season. Don't know why people are still calling him a safety, really, because he's not being used like a safety. His coverage rating is amongst the worst of all qualifying safeties in the league. Now, I've said before, I don't really like PFF. I just don't agree with the rankings I do, but directionally it helps. And he's got a coverage rating of like 49.2, which is awful. He's terrible in coverage and he's a safety, yet he's getting all these sacks. Why don't we just start to call him a linebacker and just be done with it? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, does it? Just shift him. (laughs) He's he's not a very good safety. So stop calling him a safety. Just say that he's a sub-linebacker. And then we can all move on and we can just call it what it is. Yeah. I mean, at 23 up, you'd have thought that this game was well in hand, especially with no Alex Smith. But Washington did actually manage to capitalise on some of the Seahawks' mistakes. Obviously, it was too little too late in the end. and. I think until the football team find themselves a half-decent quarterback, they're going to struggle to progress. And I think this is probably a key target area for them in either the draft or, you know, as we've discussed, maybe they look to strengthen with some skill position players in the draft and look to see what they can... This is just a... Yeah, that's what I was going to say there because you go after Terry McLaurin and who else have they really got in that receiver core there? Absolutely. It's they're the two areas they need to improve. And it might be that we see them target the skill positions in the draft and they look to somewhere like the Patriots or the Jets for someone like Camel Donald. I'm not sure what the relationship is between Riviera and Newton, because it was Riviera who cut Newton from the Panthers, wasn't it? Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah, it was. So I'm not sure really if Riviera would go back to him. You know, why was he not good enough for the Panthers, but he's good enough for the football team? Good point. All of a sudden. Yeah, very good point. I don't know. It depends what the relationship is between those guys. Off the top of my head, I struggle to remember. I think it might be more kind of financially driven. But yeah, they definitely need a longer term quarterback solution there. Alex Smith has been fine as a, but he's more of a standing now. Exactly that. Yeah. With his age, he's not the future. Carl Allen, who Riviera likes, is he's not good enough there. And Dwayne Haskins is a bust. Yep. You know, the defence at least is firing for this team, so we've got something to build off there. Right, let's uh, move on through then to 49ers 33 and Cowboys 41. Joe, I, I'm so annoyed about this game. This was the one game that we differed on yeah, last week. Yeah, and look, yeah. the Cowboys recovered three fumbles in the first three possessions against the Bengals last week. <laughs> Madness, yeah, resulting in a misleading blowout win. The same thing happened in this game. Early San Francisco fumble punt return and Nick Mullins' strip sack gave the Cowboys an easy 14-0 lead to begin the afternoon. And then there's a mixture of luck and talent involved in recovering fumbles. I I appreciate that, but it's just been raining them these last two games for the Cowboys and I can't help but feel that's not all down to skill. (laughs) Oh, really weird. It's almost like this is how we thought the Cowboys D would be at the start of the season. Yeah. Like we thought with this kind of front four that they had there with a linebacking core, that they'd be, you know, dominating that, that kind of front seven. And it's taken them about 16 games to warm up. Mullins, I've said previously, I've said he's not a bad quarterback. 
but he's really not helping himself if he is to try to find a potential starting spot as one of those kind of like backups who move on. He's not doing enough really. And when the games matter, when the games are on the line, when he's not in control of games, he's snapping at passes. He's he's putting too much mustard on like kind of short throws. He's been doing this for a few games. Yeah, I mean, Mullins, uh, it was mental because obviously he had the fumble at the beginning, then he was chucking interceptions and I was just sat watching it. I felt like DJ Khaled just watching this game and... <laughs> DJ Khaled. There's an interception and there's a fumble and I'm there just going, another one, another one. <laughs> Don't ever play yourself. But that's exactly what Mullins did. It wasn't great. But no. before we move on, can we just recognise how good Pollard was in this game? And Zeke right now is starting to look like a very expensive mistake for the Cowboys. Let's see if next season brings a bounce back season from him. But Pollard ran for 69 yards and two touchdowns on just 12 carries. And he caught six passes yep. for 63 receiving yards. So he's showing there that he's capable of being a pass catching back. And Unlike Zeke, he's actually hungry. You know, maybe someone shouldn't have fed Zeke when he kept asking they for it because it's made so him much. fat and lazy. What have I said a million times before? Don't pay your running backs. Okay, there's a couple of maybe exceptions who've shown that they're still worth it. I mean, Henry has shown that he's probably worth the money. Cook has shown, yeah, he's probably worth the money. But look, Zeke is not worth the money. Zeke is Zeke is not worth the money. I'm saying that hands down. You're right. Pollard was very good. There's nothing that Zeke would have done that would be any different to that. And Pollard's on, you know, pennies to the dollar. Yeah. In terms of what Zeke gets uh, paid there. You're absolutely right. And, you know, let's not forget that this Zeke contract that he's signed there now is one of the factors, really, that's going to prevent them, perhaps, from paying Dak Prescott. Yeah. Because you've got to find ways to be creative now. It was a mistake. Okay. I'm going to say this clearly. I'm going to say it so there's no mistake here. Jets 23... Rams 20. I mean, if you were to ask me if there was one team who couldn't even tank right, who would it be? I'd have picked the Jets and well, I'd yeah. be right, you know? You'd be right, yeah. As if they're going but to look- miss out on Trevor because of this silly, pointless win for them. I appreciate the Jags still need to lose their remaining games, but they've got this <laughs> strength of schedule tiebreaker on their side at the moment. And quite frankly, the whole thing's comical for if you're a Jets fan. This changes so much now, though, because when the Jets had first pick, Lawrence is a generational player from what everyone thinks and says and what the general kind of consensus is. So that any quarterback, really, who's not Mahomes or Rogers, if you're getting first pick, you're going to pick him no matter who else you've got there. Now, the other quarterbacks who are in the drafts, your fields, lances, those kind of players, they're not in that same kind of category there. Would Fields be an upgrade on Darnold? I think the kind of consensus really is maybe no. So now that Darnold has won this one game, he's basically saved his job. I can see now the Jets maybe picking up Panay with their first pick, which will probably still be second pick, but they probably won't go quarterback now. So they'll probably be sticking with Darnold and doing what they probably should have done a couple of years ago, building some offensive line around him. All right, they did uh, pick up Beckton uh, last year, but doing a better job of building the offensive line around him, getting some better talent in receiving core. And I know they picked up Mims and stuff last year, but just doing a better job of all of these things and coaching it better. It changes everything. Yeah, no, it, it really does. Do you think that the Jets will go quarterback in the draft now? Or do you think that Donald has kept his job? It's such a tough one. I agree with what you've basically laid out there, which is if they get the second pick, probably not because Donald isn't necessarily a bust. But then I just don't know if they can draft well enough to dramatically change the outcome for this team next season. If they stick with Donald, who has been really bad in some games this season, is getting him a better offensive line going to suddenly change the outcome of this team? I don't know if it is. I think that Donald's not been great, but I don't think he's been, you know, terrible, terrible. No, I agree. I don't think he has. But I mean, look, they've still been going with Frank Gore. As their main kind of like rushing yeah. attack. Even in this game, which they won, he still averaged 2.6 yards a carry. Like, I've got a lot of respect for Frank Gore. He's been doing it for so long. He's a Hall of Famer. Maybe not a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he's a Hall of Famer, right? But it's pedestrian. His averages are under three in most games. And that's your rushing attack. So it's putting more pressure on the quarterback. And then your receivers. 
I mean, Crowder is your number one receiver. And no disrespect to Jamison Crowder, he's nowhere near elite. If you've brought in Mims, who you've not really given much of a fair chance to, there's just so much weakness in the skill positions there. So your starting running back is Frank Gore. Your leading wide receiver is Jamison Crowder. And your starting tight end is Chris Herndon. These are the weapons that Darnold's got. Get some better weapons in for him. They're not going to be a five-win team. They might be a four-win team next season. But new coach, the focus has changed now. It's not going to be, let's just put Trevor Lawrence in and go with a crap team still and think that Trevor Lawrence can just change things. It's let's try to do this properly and build a proper football team. Mm. Just before we move on then, Jared Goff is quickly becoming someone I'm strongly disliking. <laughs> Every time I say he's no good without time, he goes and strings a series of impressive games together. And I think, hmm, maybe I was wrong. And then he goes and can only put 20 points on this Jets team. I feel yeah. I probably, you know, should let you do most of the talking for this one because my, my frustration is just going to creep in on me. And I'll end up saying things that probably are a little harsh and untrue. But Goff... Uh, I can't make my mind up on him. For the most part, I don't think he's very good. <laughs> he's a limited quarterback in the sense that he needs a pocket around him and he needs that time. He's not great scrambling and he's not great outside of the pocket. You know, he was sacked three times 20 yards in this game. And that kind of says it already. There was finally some pressure that the New York Jets managed to build on a quarterback. And that kind of, you know, was one of the key factors in um, bringing Goff down. Yeah. Right, let's move on then to Eagles 26, Cardinals 33. And this was a great game to watch from a pure offensive back and forth point of view. And if anyone still needed further evidence to support the argument that Wentz isn't a great quarterback, Hertz and the Eagles' performance in this game was all the evidence you need, really. Prior to this match, Doug Peterson was 11-2 without Carson Wentz as a starting quarterback. And although they lost this one, Hertz gave the Cardinals a fright in the second half as they struggled to stop him connecting with his team. Yeah, that stat you kind of bring out there that he was 11-2 without Wentz is an incredible stat. There was something kind of similar on ESPN where they were showing a stat that in December, Peterson wins most of his games. Like I think he's got like, like some kind of record like of 11-3 in December. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, that's basically the same stat because it's normally December when Wentz is injured. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> so. I criticised Hertz last week or I said that he wasn't that good. I still stand by that, but, you know, again, credit where credit's due. I mean, at three touchdowns, zero interceptions, he threw for 338 yards, added another 63 yards and a touchdown rushing. He had a huge game. Yeah, he had a huge, huge game. Uh, you can't take nothing away from it. He played it very, very well. Do you know what? I think that's a really important differentiation to make. No one here is saying that Hertz is amazing, but I think what we are saying is that he's proven that he's more deserving of that start job than Wentz is right now. Well, he's overcome the limitations that Wentz couldn't come. Now, he's still got sacks six times. Like That's a lot of sacks to eat. So he got sacked six times, but he still managed to have a game. Yeah. Whereas Wentz was just getting sacked and the team just had their heads down and just weren't really into it. Yeah. Hertz is... Accuracy wasn't great either. Like, I mean, he was 24 or 44. He targeted Ertz seven times, only hit him twice. He targeted Godart eight times, only hit him four times. And these are tight ends. So he should probably be hitting a little bit more. So he was missing on quite a few throws, but overall can't take nothing away from him. He played a really good game. Kyler Murray ultimately played better, despite being intercepted. He threw it 406 yards and three touchdowns. And he also uh, had a touchdown on the ground. But I mean, look, we saw two really good young quarterbacks going against each other. Or should I say two quarterbacks playing very well? Like I, said, I still don't think Hurts is a great quarterback. And maybe I'm going to be proved wrong. Yeah, what do you think this means for the Eagles then? Because even if they want to move on from Wentz and build around... They can't someone, move on from him. That's the thing, right? This contract of Wentz is, is going to be very hard to shift or trade. So Now Bill O'Brien is out of the league. There's no trade partners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There was, there, was, there was one man stupid enough to take that trade and he's gone. <laughs> so so no, so they're stuck with that white elephant of a contract for the next couple of years. And this is the thing with Hertz as well, right? Hertz wasn't supposed to start this season at all. Hertz was supposed to be on the bench all year. He's played well here. You can't take that away from him. But he was and is a work in progress. It's just a mess. This contract for Wentz is terrible. Wentz is a terrible quarterback and you're stuck with him. And that's just all it boils down to. Yeah. They still need to get more in the skill positions. I mean, Rager, when you think that he was taken around the same time in the draft as Jefferson was, he was taken in front of Jefferson in the draft. 
there were very few people who were talking Rager up above Jefferson. So this is the front office trying to be clever here, and they've got what they deserve, really. The important thing, though, from this, really, is that the Cardinals stay in the hunt for a playoff place. Eagles basically don't have a chance to win the NFC East now, and so definitely out of playoffs. Yes, I think it's the Bears that the Cardinals are fighting off for that spot at the moment. So providing that they can win, well, we'll we'll have to see, right? Because again, this might be one that comes down to that last game of the season for the Cardinals. Well, the Cardinals are 8-6 and and the Bears are 7-7. I don't think those teams have played each other, so there's no no head-to-head there. I can't see the Bears winning both of the two last games. I don't know what the Bears schedule is but I don't trust him to win games the Bears have got the Jaguars and the Packers left I definitely don't see the Jaguars doing anything silly like trying to win a game so Bears probably will go one and one with their last two games Cardinals on the other hand yeah they've got the Rams as their last game of the season I believe and before that yeah so Cardinals have got 49ers and Rams left so you, you know you never know especially if Green Bay have clinched that top spot this week they might rest players for the game against the Bears. Uh, yeah, because can you imagine that having three weeks off basically for some of those players? Mm. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. So yeah, so it depends how that goes. But even a rested Green Bay team, I still see beating this Bears team. Well, let's wait and see, shall we? Chiefs 32, Saints 29. We saw the return of Drew Brees, but he began the game 0 of 6 for the first time in his career. And... Yeah. By halftime, Breeze was just 5 of 16 for 87 yards and an interception. Yet, despite this, the Saints somehow had a 15-14 lead in the third quarter. I'm not going to read too much into Breeze's bad start. He wasn't ready to come back. That's my opinion. Yeah, he, he kind of had his upper torso broken. Aside from his spine, I don't think there were any bones left that weren't really broken. <laughs> and he's come back in like, in like three weeks. Well, he even said in the post-game conference, they straight out asked him if he was ready to come back and he just laughed and said no. <laughs> you couldn't have Taysom Hill starting this game. Having Taysom Hill going up against Patrick Mahomes, you just couldn't have that. Especially while you're still chasing that top seed. Yeah, but look, he led a really close game when he was injured. Patrick Mahomes again threw an interception that was basically called back. And again, it wasn't an interception where he had a free play. It was a genuine interception. I think that Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. I'm not taking that away, but I say this all the time. There's a lot of people who hold him on a pedestal, which is not where he should be. He's very good. He's the best, but he's human and he makes mistakes. And people think that, you know, every time he starts, he's going to win. And that's not the case. Well, he failed to complete half of his passes in the first half of this game. Yeah, he finished 26 or 47, you know. His rating was only 92. He's pretty inaccurate in this game. It feels kind of churlish to criticise a quarterback who had three touchdowns, yeah. zero interceptions. So I don't really want to go down that route too much. But what my point is, is that Breeze, who was beat up and basically not playing for the first half, this game still finished 32-29 and went down to the last place. Do you think that the game might have turned out different if Cameron Jordan hadn't been ejected for throwing that punch? No, I don't think it would have turned out different. I don't think that was a difference maker, but we'll get onto that in a minute. It's good you've reminded me of that. But I would say that if Breeze was fit for 60 minutes here, it could have been a very different game. Mm. Uh, your Cameron Jordan point there, I just want to say I think that was disgusting what he did there. Yeah, it was completely. It was a cheap shot, a really stupid thing to do. Glad that the ref saw that. But I don't know whether you realised, Mac did the exact same thing to one of the Vikings offensive linemen. I did spot that, yeah. So these things should get picked up by the refs. The refs did a great job of picking that up. It happened in the Vikings game as well, though. I think it's just a disgusting, cheap thing to do. You hate seeing it. Yeah, completely agree. And then probably the last thing to land on for this game is the CEH injury. Yeah, and not just the CEH injury. His replacement, Bell, looked to get a bit banged up as well. There's two ways to to look at this, really. You don't want to see players get injured at all. There's nothing good about it from that point of view. But... I might say that having Bell attempting third and ones and third and goals rather than CEH might lead to a bit more success. But again, you don't want to see it from an injury. It's not nice. But the way he went down or the way he seemed to be in a lot of distress there, it looked to me like he's probably out for the season. Whatever's wrong with him, it didn't look very good. Yeah, he couldn't put any pressure on his leg. So it, it certainly wasn't a good look at all. I think best case is that he's back, maybe second game of playoffs. Worst case is out for the season probably really, isn't it? So yeah. not good for him. You don't want to see it. 
Let's move on anyway. Browns 20, Giants 6. The Giants were suffering a fair few injuries, so this was always going to be a tough battle for them. They did a great job of limiting the Cleveland run game, but couldn't stop Mayfield in the passing game. I think the Giants' run defence has surprised me a little bit this season. I, I think actually they've got quite a strong run defence there. Yes, especially in this kind of second half of the season, but they kind of should have done really with some of those pickups. You've got like players like Blake Martinez coming into the linebacker core there. He had a big game in this game, 10 tackles, two tackles for losses. Blake Martinez was a very good player for the Green Bay Packers, and you'd expect him to play as well for the Giants. Yeah. You're right, they did a good job of preventing the run here. But this was one of those games where I think, you know, for the Browns, I think they were looking at this as kind of a trap game. They just wanted to kind of get through it. But, you know, hey, Browns are 10-4 and four now. They're playing in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. I don't really have anything else to, to add to this game. So let's let, why don't we move on and spend a little bit more time on this shocker of an outcome. Bengals 27, Steelers 17. Wow. Talk about, uh, I think the phrase is wheels coming off, really. Yeah. So this Steelers team were 11-0 to start the season. They now sit at 11-3. Not many people had the Bengals beat them, though, this week. No. Bengals led by Ryan Finley. Yeah, the Steelers' first half saw them generate 40 net yards of offense against one of the worst defenses in the NFL. They averaged just 1.4 yards per play. So, essentially, that's eight plays just to achieve a first down. Yeah. That's yeah, uh, just shocking. Charles, I... I'm having trouble processing this ring because it wasn't even it wasn't even like Cincinnati really did much no they like Finley threw the ball 13 times so they were extremely one dimensional in that they rushed 41 times now this vaulted Steelers defense but you know it's supposed to be the smash mouth defense that it basically was through the first you know 10, 10 or 11 games they couldn't stop the Bengals run game led by Giovanni Bernard 41 carries, 152 yards. It wasn't even that efficient, but they were just pounding them, pounding them, pounding them. Yeah, exactly that. It was it was strange as well, because you'd think that if that kept happening, you know the game script. So just stack the yeah. box and just stop him moving. But they, they, couldn't, they couldn't get it to go. Big Ben was terrible in this game. For whatever reason, he, he was just horrendous. And we've said this earlier in the podcast today, you can't get the passing game going if you don't establish the run game. And yet again, Benny Snell, another massive disappointment. He was bottled up for most of the contest. And aside from a 29-yard run he had, and yes, he got a touchdown, but he, he, was, he just went missing. He was so inefficient. It's a cliche because it's true. You have to establish the run, and this Steelers team can't establish the run. Question for you, Charles. Steelers in their playoffs now. They are in playoffs. We know that. Are they a one-and-done team, or are we going to go any deeper than them? I mean, this feels like an easy get-out clause, because what I'm basically going to say is, if they play like they have done the last three weeks, if Big Ben can't hit targets, if their passing core is dropping catches, if they can't stop the run, then yeah, they're done in one. I think, though, I think just from seeing their first, well, what, three quarters of the season, I know they can do it, so I'm hoping that they regain that form and put on a bit of a run. I think they can do it. I, I think they just need to take a step back, return to the basics, get James Conner back, try and get him starting this run game going and take it from there, basically. So if the playoffs were to start tomorrow, the Steelers would most likely be playing either one of the AFC South teams or the Browns. So it would be either Titans, Browns or Colts. And to be honest, based on what we've seen the last few weeks, I don't see the Steelers being any of those teams. No, not playing the way they're playing. But we know that they can beat the Browns. We know they're capable of beating teams like this, but they have to be playing at the level that they were at the start of the season. And we haven't seen any signs of that for three weeks now. Yeah, it's concerning times to be a Steelers fan after that start. But hey, look, they're still an 11-3 team. They just need to correct the ship. Yeah. Let's let's see what happens there. Yeah. yeah. Okay, look, let's move on to the Predos. Now, like we said earlier, you've been having trouble the last couple of weeks, Charles. Predos haven't been going how you expected. I am the Steelers. That's what's happening here. Yeah. I went off to eleven oh start, was was on a run, and I've I've been tripping these last few weeks. So let's see if I can have a strong end to the season. Let's get me in that playoff one seed, please. 
Yeah, well, let's let's see, mate. Right, first game, you can start off Vikings at the Saints. Vikings at the Saints. I've got Saints by 12 on this one. The Vikings are like the boogie team for the Saints. Like they've beaten them every season the last kind of few seasons, even when the Saints were heavily favoured. I, I, I can't see it happening this time, though. I think the luck's going to run out there. Saints by six. Okay. And then we've got Bucks at the Lions. Yeah, I think it's got to be Bucks by 17. Oh, wow. That's quite a score. Okay. I've got Bucks by 10. I just, I don't know where they're at right now. And the Lions can throw down. So, yeah, Bucks by 10. And then the next game we have is the 49ers at the Cardinals. Yeah. Well, if uh, if Mullins is playing the, the way that he does, I'm going to say Cardinals by 14. I think this one's going to just be a little bit closer. I think Cardinals by three. Okay, I'm getting nervous that we're not as aligned as we have been in previous weeks. This could be your run, your run to the finish line. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Dolphins at Raiders. Yeah, I think it's got to be Dolphins by... Dolphins by 14. Okay, I've got Dolphins by 10. Browns at Jets. I think that... I mean, can the Jets win another one? Would they want to? Uh, I'm going to say Browns. Well, it might as well now. Because well, not this is the thing, yeah. Um, but I'm going to say Browns by 14. I'm going to say Browns as well, but Browns by nine. Hmm, okay. Giants at Ravens. I'm going to go Ravens with this one. Ravens by 25. Wow. Okay, I'm going to say Ravens by 14 just because the Giants have... They stopped the Browns' running game quite effectively and the Ravens do rely on their run game quite a bit. So, yeah, Ravens by 14. Bengals at Texans. Oh, who knows in this topsy-turvy world, but I am (laughs) going to back the Texans. I'm going to say Texans by... I don't know. I think they might do this convincingly. Surely there's no way that Gio Bernard can do what he did last week but it is the Texans and they can't stop the run but I'm going to say Texans by 14 I'm going Texans by 11 alright then we got Bears at the Jags it's probably got to be the Bears now yeah it has to be right Jags aren't going to want to let that first seed go no they're not going to want to see Trevor Lawrence go back to New York Bears by 7 okay I'm going to say Bears by 14 then we have the Falcons at the Chiefs yeah, I don't know where to go. I, I'm just wondering if there is still a bogey game in here, if the Chiefs take their eye off the prize. Mahomes hasn't been playing brilliantly well of late, but... You've not got the guts to say that, I you? don't think I do. <laughs> so I'm going to say Chiefs by seven. I think it's going to be one of those games where the Falcons collapse again, so I'm going to say Chiefs by 20. <laughs> okay, then we've got Colts at the Steelers. I think it's got to be Colts, Charles. Colts by eight. Oh, man, that's a tough one. My head says Colts. My heart says Steelers. I am... Come on, Steelers. You've got to pull it together. I'm going to back the Steelers. I'm going to go with my heart, and I'm going to say Steelers by three. That could be costly. Could be. (laughs) Next game, Panthers at Washington football team. Do you know what? I'm going to back the Panthers, and I don't know why. I think the Washington football team have been strong defensively recently, but I think the Panthers just always have that ability to score points. So I'm going to say Panthers by seven. It's a tough one, really, because I think C-Mac might be coming back. Oh, okay. But the Panthers have nothing to play for right now, whereas Washington do have stuff Mm, to play for. mm. And they're right in that playoff hunt. It's a really hard one. No, but Washington have still got Haskins, and I just can't trust Haskins. I'm going to go Panthers by three. Okay. Then we've got Broncos at Chargers. I don't see why not Chargers. Chargers by six. Yeah, I've got Chargers by seven, so we're very close on that one. Rams at Seahawks. <sighs> Again, another one I don't really know where to go with. I'm going to say Rams by three. Yeah, I was thinking Rams on this one as well. I'm going to say Rams by one. Cool. And then we got Eagles at Cowboys, so... Oh, God, where'd you go with this? I, I'm I'm going to say Eagles. Surely the Cowboys can't keep benefiting from these fumbled returns. Um, so I'm going to say Eagles by six. Okay, I'm going to differ from you. I'm going to say Cowboys 
by a score. Okay, nice. And we have Titans at Green Bay. I'm obviously going to go Green Bay on this because the Titans don't have a pass rush, so they won't be able to stop Aaron Rodgers. Packers... I mean, the Packers don't have a run defense to stop Henry. <laughs> I was keeping my mouth shut because that was what was running through my head. So close game, I'm sure. Packers by two. Yeah, I think Titans by three. Okay. And then Bills at Patriots. Yeah, I think Bills by 10. Yeah, bit bills are kind of in party mode now, really. So many tables getting broken. What a time to be part of Bills Mafia. Bills by 14. Well, Joe, pleasure as always. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in once again. We will catch up next week when we run through the game week 16 results, but also do our final predos for the remainder of the regular season. Yeah, we've got listeners tuning in from all around the world. China, America, Canada, Bangladesh, all these kind of places. So wherever you are in the world and whatever you're doing, have a happy holiday period. Absolutely. And we'll speak next week.